thank and Merry Christmas. We are going to recite Luke 2, 8 through 20. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds had said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. people. That's um, marvelous news that you've recited from, uh, from Luke chapter 2. Here's encouragement for you in your work memorizing and reciting. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Joey and Shelby. I have uh, one more uh, help I need from you in passing out some, uh, some uh, questionnaires here. This is the test. You know you got the message if you got them all filled out. I have to confess, uh, last time when I had one of those, I failed to cover the last couple of points. So please uh, forgive me. My intent is to make sure that uh, everybody has all the answers that I go over them. Uh, the first question is going to be the easiest one, and the one only you can answer. And uh, that is not on the sheet, so you don't have to wait for the sheet to answer it. And that is what, is your, what is your favorite color? What is your favorite color? Anybody has a favorite color? Blue. Blue? We got blue? Yellow. Yellow? All right. Any other favorite colors? Red. Red, okay. There's a red. I'm sorry? <laughs> Purple, okay. Yes, Nessia? Green. Shocking. <laughs> any, any others that haven't been named? Eliana? Cool. Sorry? Cool. Okay. Okay. Glocks? Glocks. Okay. That's gray and purple mixed together. Okay. Any others? that haven't been named. Going once, going twice, going three times. Well, the color of this sermon is gray. So that means 
you know, I've just lost everybody's attention. But uh, gray, why do people not like gray? Uh, there is uh, something sometimes called the gray areas of the Christian life. What are the gray area, areas of the Christian life? Can anybody define them for me? Gray areas of the Christian life. Going once. I'm sorry? Where you should live. Okay, that's an example. Where you should live. Can you give me a, more of a definition? The gray. Can't make up your mind if it's right or wrong, yes. Okay. Okay, good. I think I had a slide for that. Did you guys pull out my slides? There you go. So here's, here's one definition. The white, all right, that's something that God commands us to do very clearly in the Bible. You know, you should love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Very clear commands. Black would be God forbid. You know, you shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not murder. Very clear. There's a big area in the middle that we call the Christian gray. We don't quite know, right? Is it right or is it wrong? And we had one example here by uh, Kathy, uh, where you live. So I, I, I uh, came up with some other scenarios, just a few, to kind of test your sharpness this moment, this morning. Uh, and, and so the question as we're looking at this, is, is this black, white, or gray? Black, white, or gray? Okay, what's the first one we have there? Daniel? All right, how about that? White, black, or gray? Sorry, black? Why? Why is that black? He's cheating. Okay, he's looking. This is a test. He's looking at somebody else's answer. Cheating. The Bible forbids it. Right? That's very clear. Black. All right, how about the next one? <laughs> it's supposed to be an example of, uh, of somebody helping an old woman cross the street. It's supposed to be that. <laughs> Maybe he's doing something else. I don't know. Uh, my understanding is he was offering to help. That would be white, right? You know, that God tells us to love our neighbor. Here's an example. Somebody, somebody needed help. And, you know, a person is helping that person white. Okay, how about the next one? I'm sorry? That's good stuff right there. Black, white, or gray? I heard gray. Why is that gray? Right, nothing wrong. The Bible doesn't tell us we can't eat it. Now, again, we kind of understand. Wait, 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 you're skipping. Thank you. <laughs> right. Yeah, the Bible doesn't say we can't eat it. Now, we understand there were laws in the Old Testament about certain foods you can eat, certain foods you can't eat. That was for the nation of Israel for a particular period of time. They don't apply to us today. Right? Otherwise, if I would have shown this you know, to King David, he would say black. Right, you know, God says I'm not supposed to eat lobster. Right, in our case, it's great. It's great. There's no command against eating it. 
there's also no command to eat it, right? So this, you know, could be, you know, you could do it or not do it, right? Depending on your conscience. And I tried to throw a couple of other examples that go along with that. Um, so here is, you know, having fellowship with other people. Maybe there'll be some opportunity to share the gospel with them. You know, would that, would that affect your decision of whether to go ahead and, and, and go to this opportunity of, of having a lobster steak and all of that? Knowing that it's part of a fellowship dinner, there'll be opportunity to maybe encourage a believer or witness to an unbeliever. Would that tilt it in favor of, or against? Yeah, we tilt it in favor, right? Okay, well, you know, I, I get to enjoy good stuff, as Jake said, and I get to serve the Lord at the same time. It's a helping tool. Oh, great. Uh, how about the next one? Let's say it's being offered at a nightclub. Is that tilting at four or against? <laughs> Which hand has the marble? Right? Yeah. So, so here's a gray area. There could be times in which it's, it would be a good thing to do, clearly, and times in which now, yeah, I have, I have a right to eat that. There's no prohibition against it. But in this particular set of circumstances, this would not be a good idea. Right? Okay. So the goal for today is how do we address the gray areas of the Christian life? How do we know what it is that God wants us to do? Anybody has one of those uh, sheets with questions? I didn't say one for myself. I'm going to just try to track here. Any extras, Joey? We use them all up. All right. Thank you. Okay, so gray is a color of what? Gray is a color of opportunity. Gray is a color of opportunity. I didn't give that answer, so I gave it this time. Right? And uh, hopefully by the end of the message, we will understand an opportunity for what? An opportunity for what? Gray is a color of opportunity. Okay. So first, what's the main principle as, as we look at gray areas? Let's read the passage today and see how this passage helps us in our approach to the gray areas of the Christian Life. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, picking up in verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. And... For conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of 
for the food over which I give thanks. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So what is the main principle as we approach these gray areas of the Christian life? The main principle could be summarized in verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Now Paul starts with the statement, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Now, in the all things are lawful for me, I understand that Paul is talking about the gray area. These are things that are not forbidden by the word of God. He was probably thinking particularly of foods and foods offered to idols because that's the section we're in. Remember, the Corinthians are asking the question, is it okay for us to eat meat that was offered for idol sacrifice? Right? That's really the question of the table. So that's mainly what he means when he says, all things are lawful for me. So it's lawful for you to eat meat offered to idols, and many, many other gray areas of the Christian life are lawful for you. God does not forbid them. Okay? But that doesn't mean that I should do them, because he says, all things are not helpful. Yes, it's lawful for me to eat the meat offered to idols. There's no law against it. But is it helpful? Is it helpful for me? Is it helpful for another believer? Right? Those are the thoughts that should be crossing my mind as I'm looking at the gray area of the Christian life. The Corinthians may have been very focused on their rights. It is my right to be able to eat meat. The meat offered to idols is you know, the most affordable meat around and maybe the only meat I can afford, and therefore it's my right. I should be able to eat it. And Paul is saying, wait a second, how is that affecting your fellow believers? Right? When we approach the gray areas, think about how it's affecting others, not just your own benefit right, from eating it. We'll, we'll look more into the example of the Corinthians. That's the next uh, main section. So, uh, number two, main principle when facing a gray area, how do my actions affect others? How do my actions affect others? others. Okay, so then we enter the meat of the passage, verses 25 through verse 28, and we have this example, very, very specific example applied to the Corinthians. They want to know whether they can eat meat offered to idols, and uh, we already talked in the past about the fact they shouldn't be going into an idol's temple and eating the meat there. Right? That's a slap in the face right? to Christ, to other believers that have convictions. But what about the fact that I'm going to the meat market right, and I buy meat, and that meat might be meat that was offered to an idol, and when the priest was done, he gave the leftovers to the you know, local meat market to make some money off it for himself, and now I'm going to the meat market and I'm just buying food for my family, and I might inadvertently be purchasing meat that was offered to idols. 
and I might be eating it. Is that wrong? Right? And Paul's answer is, you know, it's kind of what we say, the don't ask, don't tell policy. You don't have to ask. You don't have to be overly picky. It's just meat, okay? It doesn't really have any intrinsically thing wrong with it. When it was offered to idols, it didn't change any of the molecular structure. It didn't put any germs into it. There's nothing in that meat itself that's bad for you. So it's okay to eat that meat, right? If you don't know whether or not it was offered to an idol, right? That's what Paul is saying in this passage. Now, he says, asking no questions for conscience sake, what's the issue here with the conscience? And for that, we would need to go back to chapter 8. So we covered this once, but we'll go ahead and look at it a second time to make sure we understand the issue at hand. In chapter 8, verse 4, Paul was answering the questions directly. He said, therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols... We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. We were worshiping God this morning for the fact that... Uh, uh, we all came through the Lord Jesus, right? Everything comes from God the Father. We are for God. So these idols, they're just, you know, pieces of stones or wood. They're nothing. They're meaningless. They cannot affect the foods themselves. But, Paul says in verse 7, However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it, as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So I might be able to eat meat offered to idols, and it won't have any negative consequence on me. Right? I understand that idol is nothing, and this is just meat. Right? And so I eat it as just meat. But to some person who, who sees more in the idol than there really is, he doesn't have the full knowledge or full understanding, right? And when he eats the meat offered to an idol, he feels he is participating in the worship of an idol, and therefore he is sinning against God. For that person, it is wrong, right? Because our, our conscience is something God has given us to, to help us walk with him, to help us do what's right. And so in my conscience, I believe this is wrong, and it will hurt my relationship with God if I do it. Right? And so if another brother is eating of that meat and it causes me, as a result, to eat that meat and now my conscience is wounded, I feel that I violated God's will, right? I, then I have. It has affected my relationship with God. It has affected my relationship with God. And so what Paul is saying there is don't do it. Don't do it if you know that this is meat that was offered to idols. And, and you have your brother here that has a weakness in it, then don't do it, right? That's the example of thinking of somebody else when you are looking at a gray area. Now, the same thing repeats itself in verse, uh, back to chapter 10 and uh, verse uh, 27. Here's a case of being invited for dinner. An unbeliever, one of those who does not believe, invites me for dinner, and I desire to go, whether it because he has good stuff to eat, or 
because here's an opportunity to witness to someone. It's not wrong to go to a house of an unbeliever. Jesus went and sat with the Pharisee. These were his enemies. They were looking for a chance of, of attacking him. And he invite, the guy invites him for dinner, and Jesus goes, okay, an opportunity to witness. I'll be surrounded by people you know, that hate me, but it's going to be a chance of demonstrating who I am right, and the truth of God. So in this particular situation in Corinth, you don't know what will be set before you on the table. It could be meat offered to idols. And Paul says, well, don't ask, don't tell. Right? Don't ask him whether it's meat offered to idols. You're welcome to eat of, of the food in front of you. In fact, it would probably offend them. If you invited me to dinner and I sit down and you lay meat in front of me, and I start asking you questions, was this offered to idols? Right? Now, let's say you're an unbeliever. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, I, you know, I make my offering you know, twice a week to, to uh, the gods, and, and yeah, the leftovers I bring home. And, and we enjoy that. And then you say, well, I'm sorry, I can't eat. Well, you just offended your host, right? So that was probably not needed. In fact, Paul says, just eat whatever he said before you. But, again, if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, it says, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. So now I'm in this quandary. You know, Howard just invited me for dinner, and, uh, and there is, you know, look sitting next to me, and he points out, this was offered to idol. And let's say, how is this an unbeliever? Look, is a believer, one that's, you know, young, young in the faith, weak, we've called a weak person, hasn't quite understood that these idols are nothing. And, uh, you know, who, who am I going to offend? Well, the, the Bible here tells me, offend the unbeliever, right? Your brother is more important. Don't stumble a brother into sin. Here, here's someone who has a relationship with God, and you will hurt the walk with God, here's a potential, right? I mean, I, I will certainly love for Howard to come to know the Lord, right? But it's a clear case. I need to show love to the believer. I need to make sure I'm not going to stumble someone in the walk with the Lord, right? At, at the risk of offending my host as a possibility. So there is a priority in the offense, um, you know, for the potential of helping someone when I know I'm going to be hurting someone do what's not going to hurt somebody, right? And you can apologize profusely to your host, make it up, up, make it up to him some other way. Okay, so this is the example uh, that we have in the passage, and it was a real issue for the Corinthians, and, and Paul just spent three chapters answering this question because here were people who were exercising their right to eat meat at the cost of other, other believers, and, and hurting them spiritually, right? And Paul is like, you know, you guys need to, to think about what you're doing. You need to think about right priorities here. <clears throat> There's a, a final verse or a couple of verses here in this example. He says, Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of? for the food over which I give thanks. This might be a little bit difficult to understand. Bill suggested a, um, a parallel passage in the book of Romans, so let's look at that one, and it might help us understand it and, uh, and answer question number four. By the way, number three here, Corinthian example, how will my eating foods offered to idols affect, and the answer would be the weak brother. 
right, or the brother with the weak conscience. Uh, number four, if I exercise my rights at the expense of others, my good will be spoken of as, and we will find the answer in our passage, Romans 14, verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. So this is kind of a repeat of what he said of the fact that there's nothing wrong in eating meat offered to idols. That's what he means. There's nothing unclean of itself. There's no food that in itself will hurt you. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So that really depends on your conscience. If you believe that this is not what God wants you to do and you do it, that does hurt your conscience and it will affect your relationship with God. So you have these two possible brothers. One has no issue eating it, the other will. It will affect the relationship with God. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are not, no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be evil, be spoken of as evil. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. So that's the answer for number four. If I exercise my rights at the expense of others, my good will be spoken of as evil. I'm using my rights in a bad way, right? I'm not being considerate of others and how it will affect them. And I think that's what Paul is speaking of also in the passage we were looking at in 1 Corinthians. But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Don't allow your good to be evil spoken of by doing things that offend others. Okay. Um, now Paul gives us at the end of the passage we're looking at today, so verse 31 through 33, actually really chapter 11, verse 1, three benefits of giving up my rights for others. It's something we don't like to do, right? We're very big about our rights and nobody taking our rights for us. And yet here Paul gives us three good reasons to give up our rights for the sake of others. So the first one, when I'm giving up my rights for the benefits of others, A, I bring glory to God. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. There's a prophecy I like in the book of Zechariah, the very end of the book of Zechariah, which is one of the last books in the Old Testament. It, uh, first, chapter 14, verse 20, in that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. To appreciate the passage, you need to understand where the phrase holiness from the Lord will be engraved on the bells of the horses. Where was holiness to the Lord engraved in the Old Testament? Going to test your knowledge. This is going to be for the A-plus among you, overachievers. Anybody knows? 
I'm sorry? On the ark? No, I don't think it was on the ark. But close. It was on, 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 uh, on an article of clothing of a person close to the ark. Joy, were you raising your hand? No. Okay, so go ahead and show the picture. I have a slide here. And uh, that's the uh, high priest. The, attire. the Old Testament goes into great detail of what the high priest was supposed to wear. And in one of those details, he was supposed to have uh, some passages call it a crown, but my understanding, it was basically a metal plate on his forehead, a golden metal plate. And on that golden metal plate, there was to be engraved Kadesh LeYehovah, literally means holiness to the Lord. And what it designates to me is the fact that this person was uh, made holy for that one purpose of serving as the high priest. Right? This was the person who, who stood in the center of the worship of God in Israel. He was the one who was going to offer the sacrifices, and, uh, and therefore God mo- wanted to mark him in a special way. This is a person who is set apart for God, set apart for a special use for God to bring God glory. Right? This is a person who was supposed to to, to bring God glory in the nation of Israel. He was to point the nation of Israel uh, to God. Now, the prophecy in uh, Zechariah, if you remember, said, in that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. Well, my understanding, horses had bells on them so that people would know, you know, a horse was coming because you don't want the horse to step on you, Right? So maybe there was another purpose for putting bells on horses, but it's not a very glorious device. It's just designed to make sounds. And then it went on to say that the pots in the Lord's house. So pots were usually, the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. So the pots usually are not very glorious things, right? You put, you know, water in them, whatever, things that are of not particular value. And yet now, all of a sudden, they have holiness to the Lord written in them. They will be used for a glorious purpose. And same, it says, uh, every part in Jerusalem and holy shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Now it's, it's, it's blowing it out of every part in the city, every part in the country, all of a sudden is to be used for God's glory. What is, what is this talking about? Well, uh, we have a verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. It says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. You see, you and I have been given the privilege of being vessels of glory. We can be used by God. God desires to use us to bring him glory. And that's why Paul said, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You and I have the ability, when we're addressing these gray areas in our lives, the things that God doesn't say to do or not to do, and we can use them to bring God glory. That's what is even as a simple thing as eating something could give God glory, or not eating something could give God glory. That's what he is saying, whether you eat or drink, 
or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. How, how does my giving up my rights glorify God? How do these gray areas glorify God? Well, let's think about that. A believer in Corinth is deciding not to eat this meat that he wants to eat because he knows it will offend a fellow believer. How is it bringing God glory? Well, in two ways. First of all, he's saying, you know what? God is more important to me than a piece of meat. Right? It's a statement of the glory of God because some people will say, you know what? Meat is more important. Right? I want what that thing is that might offend another believer right? more than I want to please God. Right? What am I saying about God? So whenever I'm giving up something for God's sake, it's glory to God. I'm just saying God is more important. God is greater. Right? The second way is bringing glory to God really is revealing God's attributes. Revealing God's attributes. When I'm showing compassion to a brother, whose attribute is that? That's God. That's the way God is. And so, in these gray areas of life, I can choose to glorify God. Let me bring an example uh, home. Actually, first let me take it to the road. <laughs> Look in Jen. Right? You, uh, yesterday you were driving the freeway. There's an accident in front of you. Do you have to stop and help the person? Angela, you're a police officer, highway patrolman. Do I have to? If I see an accident, do I have to stop and help the person? Not you. You're a policeman. <laughs> but me as a, as a private individual, do I have to stop? I don't have to. Right? Luke and Jen could have said, well, we feel really bad for that person. Do what me and my wife usually do. We'll pray for them. <laughs> look, look and just stop, right, and say, we're going to help this person. God is more important than getting wherever, you know, we wanted to get to. You know, this is the way God was. He stopped. <laughs> he saw us in trouble. He stopped and fixed the problem, right? Sent his son to the cross, right? So that's an example of, of giving up my rights, Right? And, and really showing the glory of God, giving God glory. Bring it to my home. Right? I, uh, you know, sometimes you know, I have a tough day at work. And uh, I don't know if you were able to get the video for that. There's a link. Never mind. I should have talked to you beforehand. There's actually a link there. You want to look at it offline and, and see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I might, I might be ready to crash, right, after a long day at work. You know, I just, you know, I've had, I've had my, my battles for the day, and now I just want to sit down, put my feet up, uh, watch a movie or read a book. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's my wife at the house, and there's my children at the house, and how I behave will affect them. Am I willing to give up my rights and uh, instead of, you know, sitting down, helping my wife with the dishes, helping my kids with homework, being ready with a kind word instead of uh, being gruff with them because of how I might feel after that work, right? Okay, benefit number two when I'm giving up my rights for the benefits of others, 
I bring, and you could put different things there, but I'm going to say eternal benefit to others. Paul says, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul always seemed to be conscious about the spiritual need of others. He was walking uh, among people that were heading to hell. And he had the message that could bring them eternal life. And he was conscious that how he would behave would affect whether they would be recipient to that message or not, and therefore would determine whether these people will end up going to hell or go to heaven for all of eternity. He says it this way in chapter 9. Matt covered it for us, but I'll, I'll just read it. Verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I may win the Jews, to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are, under, who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. So Paul would change his behavior depending who he was with in order to be able to witness to them effectively. It doesn't mean that people will always receive the gospel, but at least I'm removing every hindrances that I can in order to make the gospel available to them. A good example of that, I don't know that anyone will recognize the man in the picture. Anybody recognizes the man in the picture? There's a man named Hudson Taylor. And uh, Hudson Taylor was uh, a British citizen and uh, he wanted to become a missionary to China. And so he prepared, he uh, studied medicine, if I remember correctly, um, and he traveled to China. And what he found is there was very little success for the gospel in China. And the reason was uh, all the missionaries were living in the coastal cities, which were under the protection of Western powers. And they were living in Western light accommodations nice houses. Uh, they had Chinese servants. And, uh, and they had, you know, money, resources that came from the West. And they lived relatively comfortable life, but very detached from the average Chinese. And Hudson Taylor uh, broke all codes of, of uh, behavior, and he became a Chinese as much as he could. He, he changed his uh, clothing Western clothing to Chinese clothing, which were less comfortable. He changed his hairdo from a Western hairdo to a Chinese hairdo. Uh, he, he dedicated himself to learn Chinese. He moved out of the opulent uh, areas of the Western missionaries, uh, Western part of the city, to the Chinese part to live in conditions that other Western missionaries were not willing to live as. And what was the end result of this sacrifice? 
It was a China inland mission. It was a missionary organization that did not stay at the coast with little effectiveness, but penetrated into the heart of China and probably led to the salvation of millions. Uh, today, uh, there are possibly more Chinese believers than American believers. They number in the tens of millions. Uh, and uh, if you were to trace where, how did these become Christians, because really, uh, the Christians uh, today in China were not the result of, of 20th, you know, late missionary activities. We do send missionaries to China today. Uh, the Yi's went to China to serve. But really, most of the Chinese work is ingrown. It was cells, believers left over from the time of, of uh, not specifically Hudson Taylors, but people who were saved as a result of the China Inland Mission. And as, uh, as persecution relaxed in China, you started finding evidence of Christian life. And they were sharing, and the Chinese church was beginning to multiply again. So today, when you see a Chinese believer, most likely it's a re direct result of this man's willing to shed off his Western clothes, his Western comforts, and make the gospel as accessible as he could to the Chinese, right? Uh, today, we'll sometimes invite uh, neighbors to our house, and uh, most of our neighbors are Hindus, they're vegetarians, and we won't serve meat. <laughs> we'll make sure that we're not, there's no meat on the table as we're having them, right? We don't want anything that will cause offense and will make our, our efforts of witnessing to them less effective. So... When you are giving up your rights for the benefits of others, you're bringing them at least the potential of eternal benefit. Eternal benefit. Amazing that I have the power by giving up something as simple as food to give a person an opportunity to go to heaven for all of eternity. Finally, a benefit number three. When I'm giving up my rights for the benefits of others, I am imitating Christ. Paul said in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And so Paul's only right to ask us to imitate him is because he is following Christ. What is Christ's example to us? Well, that is what uh, Joey and Shelby were reciting to us this morning. They were talking about what? Christ's birth, very good. Um, we have it uh, summarized for us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. So here, at first, he's directing this to us. He wants us to do it. Remember, as we're looking at the example of Christ, we are being told that this is what God wants us to do as well. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance 
as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. When we're talking about our rights, let's not forget what was the right of the Lord Jesus. What was the right of the Lord Jesus? Daniel? The right of the Lord Jesus was the throne of God in heaven. That is his rightful place. He could have said, well, these miserable people on earth are having a problem, but I have my rights. My rights are to sit on the throne of God in heaven. This is somebody else's problem. Right? In fact, it's their own problem. They caused it. Yet, he did not grasp to his rights, but he did what? Right, he went to the cross for me and for you. That's the most vivid example of giving up our rights. Jesus gave up his rights for the throne of God, and he took his place at the cross. And so when God is asking us to give up our rights for the benefit of others, whose example are we following? We're following the example of the Lord Jesus. We often think that uh, we cannot be like Jesus, right? And yet, that is what God is telling us to do. Uh, the first believers were called Christian for that one reason, because they tried to follow and imitate Christ. So the word Christian means little Christ. Right? People recognize that here are people who are following and imitating a particular person, and that person is Christ. They were followers of Jesus <coughs> in the first century, and they showed it by being like him, by giving up their rights for the good of others. <coughs> we can be Jesus' followers in the 21st century by being willing to give up our rights for the sake of others. So in uh, closing, we see in these three chapters the Corinthians were interested and their rights. They wanted to eat food, meat offered to idols. It was in the gray zone. It's something I can do. Paul, you tell this weaker brother that I can do it. There's nothing wrong with it. And Paul says, yes, that is within your right. But you know what? God has a higher calling for you. God wants you to become like his son, the Lord Jesus. That is God's calling for you. God wants you to be a means of other people coming uh, to know him, of other people coming to heaven. God wants you to be a vessel of glory. And these are all things you can do if you are willing to give up on your rights. Yes, you have a right to food, to meats offered to idols, but give up on that right so you can be like the Lord Jesus, so you can lead other people to Christ so that you can be a vessel of glory. And uh, may God apply that word to our hearts today. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you for, uh, for being our example and also being our redeemer. Lord, none of us would be here today if you did not live, give up your rights and uh, went came down into this world and, and went up on a cross of shame. 
Lord, that was your act of selflessness uh, to, to, uh, for our benefit. And uh, so, Lord, uh, we know that we have many rights, there's many things that we can do in our lives, and yet, Lord, we, you, want us, you want so much more for us. You want us to be vessels of glory. We ask as we each face our individual opportunities uh, during the coming day, the coming week, the coming month, the coming year, and until you come, Lord, help us remember when we have our rights and opportunity to give them up for your, your glory to do that. For we ask it in your name. Amen.